Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Then eventually Puerto Rico would need for Congress to actually write out a check. So the thing that Congress is trying desperately to avoid may happen because Congress is trying so hard to avoid it. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. It's Thursday, May 5. I'm Daniel Moss, Executive Editor for Global Economics in New York. Our Benchmark Editor, Aki Ito, most exciting, is back from her three-month stint in Tokyo. Hey, Dan. Woo! (laughs) It's good to be back. It's great to have you back, and it almost compensates for Tori not being with us this week. I am no replacement for Tori. Well, this week, a small Caribbean island has been making big news, at least in the world of finance and economics. And hey, that's the only world there is, right? (laughs) Over the past decade or so, the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, that's very important. We'll come back to a second. The U.S. territory of Puerto Rico has been on an absolute debt binge, racking up $70 billion worth of the stuff. For context, that's more than any U.S. state government except for California and New York, both huge, yet Puerto Rico is tiny. So what's the problem? The time's arrived for Puerto Rico to start paying those borrowings, and it can't. Right. And as the crisis here in Puerto Rico unfolds, I think a lot of our listeners are you know, asking themselves, how does a default from this tiny island in the middle of the Caribbean affect me? But there's a pretty good chance that it does. If you're an American taxpayer, for example, you should definitely be paying attention. If you own mutual funds through uh, maybe something like your 401k, you should be paying attention. And if you're fascinated by these kinds of situations where governments borrow too much money, and Wall Street kind of ended up enabling them, uh, enabling that kind of behavior you should be paying attention to. I think one of the first points you made was a good one. It's important for everyone to remember, Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. (laughs) It is a U.S. territory. So today we'll talk about how the island got itself into this situation, but more importantly, what happens from here. And to do that, we have our Bloomberg colleague, Michelle Kasky, joining us. Michelle covers the municipal bond market, and for the past couple of years, she's been focusing entirely on Puerto Rican debt. That makes her the equivalent of our chief Puerto Rico correspondent. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Michelle, how often do you get to go out there? Uh, on expensed reporting trips? Every few months, it tends to be like a couple times a year, I'll head down there <laughs> and talk with people and meet with local officials and and lawmakers and business folks. And it's usually, it's a lot of work, but it's also such a beautiful place and great food. So it's a fun time as well. Amazing. Well, Michelle, Puerto Rico is a place that we usually associate with, you know, beautiful beaches, coral reefs rainforests, frozen cocktails. Now all anyone is talking about is its debt problem. How did we get here? Do you want to start? Sure. It uh, started around roughly around 2000, where the government down there started to borrow to help balance its 
annual operating budget. And over the years, this has continued every single year from both political parties, different administrations. This practice just kept on going and it didn't stop. And so what we have today is a combined $70 billion between the central government, their direct debt, and, and agencies on the island. Now, that in itself, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, state governments in the mainland do it all the time right, to cover budget shortfalls, as does the federal government. Well, on the, on the state level, if they do it, it tends to be temporary, maybe for a year or two during very during a downturn. But for Puerto Rico, they made it basically a, a habit that right. they, they couldn't break. So that's what's different here. That's what's different. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it's had to borrow so much is because its economy has been in recession for such a long time, right? It has. Um, back in 1996, Congress decided to start phasing out some federal tax breaks that larger manufacturers on the island were receiving. These are namely pharmaceuticals. And that phased out in uh, roughly around 2006. And 2006 is when really the downturn started and for every year but one, uh, their economy has contracted. And they're, now they're, their unemployment rate is almost 12%. Wow. One of the ways also that Puerto Rico was able to rack up this $70 billion is their debt over the years has been very attractive to the municipal bond market. It's uh, tax exempt for anyone living in the U.S. So whether you're a resident of Wisconsin or New York or or Colorado, you can buy Puerto Rico bonds and they will be tax exempt for you. And, and these are federal, state and local taxes. Definitely yeah. triple, so that's, triple tax exempt. That's, yeah, the phrase that we've been hearing yeah. in the news a lot recently. Definitely. And their yields were higher relative to what you would see for other municipal bonds, state level municipal bonds. So yes, people knew it was a riskier, riskier bond to buy, but they felt that they were being compensated and they felt secure that Puerto Rico would never default on, in particular, its direct debt, um, its general obligations, yeah. which are guaranteed by, um, the, by the island's commonwealth for repayment. So the muni market was there, uh, definitely there to lend the money. And Puerto Rico, instead of learning to live within its means, continued to use the muni market in order to keep things afloat. So how much of this can be traced to the fuzzy status that Puerto Rico enjoys? And by fuzzy, I mean it's part of the United States. It's United States territory. Its residents are U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. They don't have to stay in Puerto Rico. They can go to California, Florida, New York, whatever. You can even vote in a Republican and Democratic presidential primary in Puerto Rico, but yet it has certain disadvantages because it's not treated the same way that Indiana or Oregon or Mississippi are treated, right? Mm -hmm. They have no voting members of Congress. They have no senators. So it's neither fish nor fowl. To what extent Mm -hmm. does that lie at the root of the problems it's got now? For Puerto Rico to work its way out of this one tool that it doesn't have, which states have, states have the ability to declare Chapter 9 or municipal bankruptcy. U.S. states, although the states themselves cannot declare bankruptcy, their entities can. So, for instance, Detroit declared bankruptcy, but the state of Michigan would not be able to declare bankruptcy. On the island of Puerto Rico, no municipality or, or utility can declare bankruptcy. So they don't have a way to work out their debt. They don't have a legal framework mm-hmm. to do that. They can default, but 
but, but then, then it then but then it's just all these legal suits so what Puerto Rico is trying to do now is to get Congress to either allow a chapter 9 which it looks like now they're not going to get or for Congress to create a legal framework so Puerto Rico can restructure its debts and move on and and get past this right. well that brings us to where we are now its economy is contracting and contracting at a very significant rate. The poverty rate is 45%. Now, that's about three times the level on the mainland. And its residents, who are U.S. citizens, aren't obliged to stick around Puerto Rico, and they're not. So there's an ever-shrinking tax base there as well. Yeah, and Puerto Rico has known since last year that they were in trouble, and they turned to Washington for help. Puerto Rico missed a $400 million payment on debt that matured on Sunday, May 1st, and that could lead to larger and more consequential defaults. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk about where we go from here, what the options are, and what the implications could be. Puerto Rico faces a cascade of defaults starting in July unless Congress passes legislation that helps the Commonwealth restructure its debt. Now, that sounds scary. Michelle, walk us through this. Part of the problem is that Congress now is under a deadline because Puerto Rico and its agencies owe $2 billion on July 1. And of that, about $800 million is for their general obligation debt. Now, the default that happened on May 1, that was the Government Development Bank. That isn't direct debt of the Commonwealth. So it was a their largest default so far. But what would really change the game here is if they were to default on their general obligation or GO debt on July 1. Those bonds have the strongest uh, legal pledges. So investors, you really could see a lot more lawsuits come July 1 if there's a default on that debt. Right. And I think none of us would want to rely on Congress for a speedy solution here. But I think a lot of our listeners are wondering why Puerto Rico even needs Washington for this. Why can't they just declare bankruptcy like Detroit? Why can't they go to the IMF um, like Greece did? You went into this a little bit earlier, but tell us now. Sure. They, they can't go to the IMF because they're part of the United States government, and um, this needs to be worked out within our own country. And unfortunately, without access to municipal bankruptcy, Puerto Rico doesn't have a tried and true method for working out a debt restructuring. And so now it's up to Congress, and only Congress can can enact and pass bankruptcy-type legislation. So what Congress is doing now is a, a bill. The bill would actually allow U.S. territories to it – give, it gives them a way to negotiate with investors and reduce debt loads. And why can't they go to the IMF? Because Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. government, mm -hmm. so it gets worked out within our own country. Right. It's not its own like sovereign, right. sovereign mm -hmm. country. Yeah. So again, we've got this neither fish nor fowl status that gets in the way. Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. It's part of the country, but it is not a state in the same way that New York or Texas or California is. 
ultimately, when this is sorted out, when we write the history of it in 20 or 30 years' time, would this be seen as a seminal event that pushed Puerto Rico further towards statehood or had the opposite effect, pushed it away? That's really hard to say now because right now people are focused on just resolving Puerto Rico's financial mess and the idea of should Puerto Rico become a state, should it remain a commonwealth maybe with some tweaks and changes, that really isn't the driving force here. What people are most focused on is the immediate problem, which is is to get Puerto Rico's finances back on track, to get their economy growing again. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes the long-term consequences of things aren't apparent at the time. Mm -hmm. And we look back and we say, gosh, well, that was a real turning point. I think the turning point for Puerto Rico is more of they need to make this transition to having more more jobs created through the private sector rather than government jobs on the island. The government, as of now, is the is the largest employer on the island. And so for that to change and for there to be more public sector jobs would really help them out a lot and help their economy grow. And so that's sort of the transition they need to make. Right. And Congress is not the only D.C. institution uh, with a finger in this pie. The Supreme Court is involved as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's a whole nother story within the, the larger story. And about two years ago, Puerto Rico passed its own local restructuring law, which would allow the island to restructure namely utility debt. So their electric company debt or, or water utility debt, if any of those types of agencies wanted to reduce their debt load, they could through this local law. That passed, but it was immediately challenged by some investors and a judge, a federal judge on the island did throw it out. Are these investors mostly, you know, kind of people on Wall Street? Are they hedge funds and things like that? It's a combo of mutual funds and also hedge, uh, a hedge fund. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And Puerto Rico kept a appealing this, and it made its its way all the way to the Supreme Court. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court had a hearing on, on this case, and we're anticipating the Supreme Court to rule by the end of June. And they could conceivably bring back to life this local debt restructuring law, which would put tools again in the hands of, of Puerto Rico. Do you think Congress is going to punt and wait for the court? Let's see. If Let's see. We have through June, if... If Supreme Court makes a ruling, we're already in May. Maybe they could, but but members are are getting back from recess on May 10, and the there's a House Natural Resources Resources Committee, which is they're the ones drafting the Puerto Rico bill. They say that next week there will be a fresh version of the bill ready to go for for folks to work on. So. It is possible that Congress is just planning to keep moving forward regardless of of what the Supreme Court does. Quickly walk us through the best and worst case scenarios for how this plays out. Sure. I think worst case scenario is that Congress is unable to pass legislation. They can't get enough votes for a bipartisan bill to really, you know, to get this to the president's desk for his signature. To allow Puerto Rico to declare bankruptcy. Well, to allow them, to give them that legal framework to work through their debts. So if Puerto Rico doesn't have that option, then they're on their own. And that means they they continue to, there'll be more defaults, which would in turn means Uh, more legal suits and legal battles, which will take a lot of time and energy away from Puerto Rico from governing itself and and looking out for the safety and welfare of its citizens. 
Right. And, you know, if Puerto Rico can't declare bankruptcy, obviously its economy is going to get a lot worse. We could see a real decline in living conditions. It's kind of ironic um, that this would end up probably requiring a federal government bailout in this case, and American taxpayers would be on the line for that. Sure. There's some lawmakers who are saying, look, if Congress doesn't get a bill passed now, this bill passed now, which currently does not specifically allocate funds to Puerto Rico, then eventually Puerto Rico would need such such help in yeah. actual for Congress to actually write out a check. So right. the thing that Congress is trying desperately to avoid may happen because Congress is trying so hard to avoid. <laughs> right. If, we, if, they, if they're not able to get this bill through, then then Puerto Rico is definitely more at risk of needing actual real cash from from the federal government. Yeah. And what's the best case scenario? Best case scenario is that Congress actually does get a bill passed that everyone can live with and that actually helps Puerto Rico and the investors all come to the table agree on certain haircuts and reduction of debt, uh, maybe pushing out maturities. And and that would, that would allow the Commonwealth to be able to, okay, get on track with having this a debt plan to repay its creditors and at the same time rebuild its economy and really get that economy growing again. Now, that'll, that'll take time. That, that would still take time, but at least they would be moving forward in, instead of just staying in this one spot, which they are now. Yeah, well, I have my fingers crossed. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And if you ever need a travel buddy for a reporting trip, I am definitely game. Jeez, Louisa, <laughs> you just got back from great. three months in Tokyo. That sounds great. Need those miles. Uh, Benchmark will be back again next week. And then until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. Also on iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. While you're there, please take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at Akiito7 and at Daniel Mas TC. And our guest is on Twitter at, at Michelle Kasky. We'll see you next week. Thank you. I love this conversation. Do come back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.